There are currently just over 770 unsolved murders in New South Wales. And unfortunately, only 50% of all homicides are solved in the state. Michelle's murder is one of the high number of murders that remain unsolved. Just another cold case police file gathering dust. Largely forgotten about over the decades that have since passed. But her mother continues to grieve for her lost daughter. She was her daughter, a troubled teenager, that many tried to help. It was a tragic event that occurred eight weeks before her murder connected. Was it an accidental overdose? Or did someone else prey on the 13-year-old that night in February 2004? This is Michelle's story. Kathy Noland is living every mother's worst nightmare. When Michelle died in February 2004, her young face was front page news, seen in every news bulletin in the state. People outraged that such a crime could happen in Western Sydney. It just feels like a nice gun for me. I haven't got my baby girl there. But as the leads dried up, the headlines stopped coming and eventually people stopped talking and contacting police, leaving Michelle's killer free and mum Kathy close to a breakdown. I can't relax while they're still out there. So I'll do anything I can to get the story out there. Michelle Pogmore was born November 26, 1990, to mother Kathy Nolland and father Gary Pogmore. Michelle would be the youngest of four children, but she definitely made her presence known right from the start. Those who knew and loved her would describe Michelle as being bright, happy and intelligent, that she really made an impression on the world and everyone she met. Unfortunately, though, this impression was not always for the good. Trouble started for Michelle when she was around 10 years old. She was diagnosed with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD. She would have mood swings and temper tantrums. She started hanging out with older teens. She ran away from home when she didn't get her own way. She got into fights. At one stage, she was reported to have punched a pregnant woman. Kathy and the Department of Community Services, or DOCS as we'll call them in this episode, They even tried placing Michelle with a qualified foster family for a time to balance out her behaviour. But she would only act up more and run away from there back to her mother's. In the 18 months leading up to Michelle's death, she was reported to docs a total of 37 times. In these cases where docs were involved, each of these reports would be closed with no further action because of conflicting interests or lack of staff to meet with the large amount of reports that were coming in. Michelle's case was not deemed high enough priority to give her parents the help they were desperately looking for. But there was always a lot of good to counterbalance this. Michelle would smile and light up her room. When Michelle was taking her medication and following her routine, she was amazing. She loved her mother dearly. She loved children. Michelle was known to lie on her bed and finish an entire book in an afternoon. She wasn't a bad kid. She was a troubled kid from a bad neighbourhood who had her battles. And Kathy was there with Michelle every step of the way. Kathy was determined her daughter would get through this rough patch in life. Better, wiser and happier. In February 2004, when our story takes place... Michelle was living in Bidwell, a suburb just outside of Mount Druitt in Western Sydney with her mother, Kathy. 
It seems that Kathy and Gary separated at some time during Michelle's early adolescence, but he was still a big part in the teen's life. Now, Mount Druid has changed a lot since the early 2000s. It's quite a hip and well-to-do area now, but when our story takes place, it was really not a great place to live. Drive-bys and violence were a daily occurrence, only further compounded by unemployment, drug use and gang activity. Kathy did not want Michelle caught up in all of that and tried her best to shield her youngest child the best she could. But as parents know, you can't make decisions for your child forever, as much as we want to. And by the time Michelle turned 13, she started mixing with teens who were far too old to be able to justify hanging out with who was essentially still a kid. Eight weeks before her death, Michelle was raped. Because of this attack, she would spend several days in hospital while she recovered. A sweet story I read about Michelle. While she was in hospital, she befriended a two-year-old girl who had been involved in a car accident. Michelle would read to her and play dolls with her, spending all day keeping this little girl company when her parents couldn't. Michelle would tell police she did not know the man who sexually assaulted her, only that he was aged in his 50s. Police investigated this, but they never identified her attacker. Whether this had anything to do with Michelle's murder, it's unclear. Because of the lack of information about this attack against her in the investigation that followed. On Thursday, February 19, 2004, Michelle left home at around 4.30 in the afternoon, telling Kathy she was going to a friend's house. She was wearing a brand new pair of pink and blue sneakers in size 5. On the Friday morning at 2.30am, she was spotted on security cameras walking through Dawson Mall in Mount Druitt, wearing a jumper with USA on the front, track pants and her new shoes. It's a clear image police would later release to the media. Michelle was last seen alive walking along this street on the Friday night at about 9 o'clock after just leaving a nearby house party. After that, she vanished until her body was discovered 36 hours later in a park that's a 10-minute drive away. Thursday, February 19, 2004. Michelle returned to the family's Bidwell home from school as normal, and she was in a mood. But then Kathy surprised her daughter with a new pair of pink and blue runners. This brought the smile back to Michelle's face and she was her normal happy giggly self. Michelle quickly put on these new shoes and modelled them for her mother. She of course wanted to show them off and told her mother she was going to meet some friends at Dawson Mall in neighbouring Mount Druitt and then spend the night at a friend's home. The trip would have taken Michelle about 20 minutes to get there by bus. What Kathy didn't know that Michelle wasn't planning on just going shopping. That evening there was a street party in Bidwell. A street party organised to promote a government welfare youth outreach program. There were a lot of kids there that night, and several people would later tell police Michelle was there until around 7pm when she left. A comment on a Facebook page set up by Kathy claimed Michelle got into an argument at the party just before she left but this claim has never been substantiated. Security cameras captured Michelle walking through a deserted Dawson Mall. Michelle can be seen wearing a navy blue sweatshirt with USA embroidered in white across the front, white track pants and her new shoes. 
What Michelle was doing there during those early hours when everything was closed, it's not clear. No one else can be seen in the footage. Where Michelle was between leaving the party at seven and the eight hours before she was seen in the mall, that's unknown too. When Kathy did not hear from her daughter that night, she wasn't worried. This was normal for Michelle, to not contact her mother when she was staying with friends. But when the morning came and Michelle never returned home to get ready for school, Kathy reported her missing to police. How thoroughly the police searched, it's not clear. So much is not clear in this story. Police just assumed Michelle ran away again and would surface in a couple of days, like her history showed. This would not be the case this time, though. Michelle had not run away, and she would never return to the safety of her home again. Two days later, on the morning of February 22nd, 2004, a family walking on their way to the football field in Bidwell found Michelle's body. She was naked from the waist down. Her white track pants and new shoes were missing. Those items have never been found. Because Michelle did not have any identification on her, and because temperatures reached up to 45 degrees Celsius or 113 degrees Fahrenheit that weekend, Michelle's body had already heavily decomposed by the time she was found. Both these factors would mean it would take police several hours to identify the remains as belonging to 13-year-old Michelle Pogmore and to notify her parents. Due to the condition of Michelle's body, her mother Kathy was not allowed to view her remains. Kathy has said in media interviews this haunts her to this day, that she never got the chance to say goodbye to her youngest child. As Michelle was so heavily decomposed, the coroner was not able to determine time and place of death. Although despite Michelle's shoes missing, she was still wearing socks, white socks, that were perfectly clean. This led to the coroner to determine it was possible Michelle was killed elsewhere and moved to the wooded area where she was found. Cause of death was also not able to be determined as Michelle's body had no significant skeletal injuries but it was theorised the teenager may have been asphyxiated. A male DNA sample was obtained, but it was not a match to anyone on the police database. This DNA remains on file waiting for a hit one day, but without witnesses or suspects, this case eventually went cold. Michelle's family did not blame police for not finding her killer. In fact, Kathy actually brings a hamper to Mount Druitt Police Station every Christmas to say thank you and follow up on any leads. A coronial inquest into Michelle's death and the handling of her case was held in February 2006 under Coroner Carl Milovanovich, quote, Listening to the evidence paints a very sad story of a young girl, who obviously had some very sad difficulties in her life. Unquote. This story could not be summed up better. Coroner Milovanovich said there was no blame on Michelle's parents or the Department of Community Services. Quote, the primary responsibility must rest with the parents, but sometimes children are so difficult that they need help. Unquote. Strangely, the coroner left open the possibility that Michelle's death did not involve foul play. But that's silly to me. How many 13-year-old girls strip themselves half-naked, hide their pants and shoes so well that they're never found, 
and then just lay down and die. And if her death was an accident, like a drug overdose at the party, why was her pants and shoes missing? The coroner did recommend a $100,000 reward which would be announced shortly after, a reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of those involved. Although there has been further pressure on the New South Wales government to follow the Victorian process of $1 million rewards for cold cases, this hasn't been announced yet, but it may just be the encouragement those who know what happened to Michelle and know who was involved to come forward. She has reminders of Michelle everywhere, on her phone, her keys, even a tattoo. The teenager's toys remain set up, her bed made, and her clothes are still in her wardrobe. Just can't get rid of it. Like, even holding it now, it's just emotional. Like, you picture her wearing it? Yeah, yeah, I do. So, very hard. Michelle's granddad, Des, is also struggling. He lives with his daughter, Kathy, and at 83, can't comprehend how someone could hurt a child. Really upset. This should not happen to anyone at all. The person who done that should really be punished for it. She was a beautiful girl. I hope they rot in hell. I really do. I hope they rot in hell for what they've done to my daughter. There's so much we don't know. What's happened to Michelle? Why the wall of silence? Where was she during those eight hours on February 19th? Did someone follow her from the street party? Someone she knew from hanging out on the streets of Mount Druitt? Or a random stranger who came across a vulnerable young girl? Was her death connected to the rape two months earlier? Or was it something else entirely? So many questions but no answers. Just questions leading to more questions. Kathy still grieves for her lost daughter. She has kept Michelle's room the same as the day she walked out, eager to show off her new kicks. Michelle's bed is still made. Toys on the shelves, clothes in her drawers. Kathy has said she cannot bring herself to throw anything away as every small, seemingly insignificant trinket keeps Michelle close to her. Kathy regularly speaks to media outlets, begging for anyone who knows what happened to her daughter to come forward. She says she cannot rest and find peace until Michelle receives some justice for her murder. On a post on the Justice for Michelle Facebook page, Kathy heartbreakingly writes, quote, Michelle's a daughter, sister, granddaughter, niece, cousin, aunt, and she was a fighter. She fought from the day she was born to the day she was taken from us. Michelle is someone to us. She is not just a face. She was a person who we love and miss every day. So please, if anyone knows anything, we need to find the person responsible. It has been too long. It's time to get justice for Michelle. The only way to do that is if you know anything, don't keep it to yourself. Unquote. If you have any information regarding the murder of Michelle Pogmore, please contact Crime Stoppers on 1300 000. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives. Please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, 
Like the page so you don't miss an episode and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Thank you.